Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we are doing all things waiver wire ahead of week 11, officially past the halfway point of the longest season ever. As always, I am joined by none other than Dwayne The Rock McFarlane, PFF's own shining star. Dwayne, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. How about you? You, uh, you hanging in there? Like you're, it sounds like you're pushing through today. Yeah, I apologize anyone if, uh, you know, me being sick is annoying in your earbuds, but hurt, not injured, as they like to say. And Dwayne, I will say, man, the one thing that makes this uh, better is I got these tissues that have Vicks in them, you know, the stuff like you put in your nose that helps open things up. So the tissues have Vicks. Like, that is a life hack if I've ever seen it, man. So anyone else that gets sick in the winter, go get those Vicks tissues. Uh, they should be a sponsor for the podcast, man. Like, we'll, I don't know what we're doing uh, at this point. But enough of that. Let's get to our usual um, agenda. As always, want to go through each position, not necessarily highlighting all the guys we think you need to go get on the waiver wire. More so want to go through the main topics and give our opinion on which ones to go after, which ones to ignore. So, Dwayne, as always, starting things off with the QB streaming scene. We got Cam Newton facing the Washington football team. That's right. Cam Newton's back. Absolutely love it. Washington is the league's single worst defense and fantasy points for game allowed to quarterbacks. And now that they're without Chase Young the rest of the season, even some of the concerns that we could have with Cam running the ball are a bit mitigated there. We also got Tua going up against the Jets. Just kind of tough for Tua, I think, all season to purely um, judge him independent of this situation he's in. Only the Jets have more drops than the Dolphins. Offensive line has largely been terrible all season long. Uh, I think his Week 9 stats were a little bit skewed by that 52-yard coverage buster to Isaiah Ford. So not super high on Tua here. We got Justin Fields going up against the Ravens. If we get the guy we saw the two weeks before the bye, man, I think Justin Fields deserves to be arguably back in that QB1 conversation where we had him at to begin the year. Again, it was so great to see him perform as well as he did in Week 9. Our second highest graded QB for that Monday night showdown against the Steelers made all kinds of big throws, showed off the rushing upside with 100 yards the week before. Certainly someone that you should be trying to scoop for the stretch run if he is still available in your league. We also got Daniel Jones against the Buccaneers. Maybe we get a healthier supporting cast coming off the bye week we always got the rushing floor i don't think he necessarily deserves to be the top dog this week and then finally mac jones at the falcons Dwayne talked about it last night we should give jones credit he is six in pff passing grade he's put some great throws on tape but because of how much of a game manager he has been at least in terms of volume and in a projected you know positive game script like this one really tough to get behind him in fantasy land so my order with these guys would be cam and fields in a tier of their own at the top i lean cam just over fields, uh, but I could be convinced otherwise. After that tier drop off, I got Daniel Jones ahead of Tua and Mac Jones. What say you, Mr. McFarlane? Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I would I would probably put Fields above Cam just because like we're seeing like so much scrambling from him at this point. It's just younger legs um, because I don't think either one of them right are going to be elite passers. So I'm really trying to buy into you know the player on the ground now. I haven't had a chance to look at Carolina's uh, schedule yet, Ian, like over the next few games. But I know Fields does have some tough matchups, so you might be able to swing me back towards, uh, you know, Cam over Fields, depending on, you know, how juicy 
uh, Newton's schedule looks. Um, here we go. Here we go. Then, I got yeah, it right after, now. This is what we're doing. We're discussing yeah, yeah, it. it so with the Panthers upcoming, we got Washington this week. Again, that's a great matchup. Then the Dolphins, then the Falcons with a couple of match, tough matchups against the Bills, Buccaneers, and Saints to end the year. So I'll take that three-week stretch, man. It's basically Washington, Miami, and Atlanta for uh, Cam. For Fields, we got the Ravens, the Lions, which is nice, but then the Cardinals. So, yeah, if you want to get ahead. A little tougher for Fields. I probably still slightly lean to Fields, but I agree with you. It is a tier. Like, so, like, you folks have your, you know, your own thought process, right? We're here to just kind of give you the information we can, but ultimately you're using it to make a decision. And so I, I do think it's right, the right call to say, look, it's really the same tier. Those two are at the top. Um, and I, I agree with the rest of the order. I almost, I honestly almost am like Daniel Jones is in that tier right there with them, right? Because he gives you the value on the ground. He should have all of his receivers back healthy. Um, but we'll see with Sterling Shepard. I haven't seen the, the earliest report on him. But he could also have Saquon Barkley back. So this will be the healthiest Daniel Jones' receiving core has probably been since like week two or three, right, of the NFL season. Um, Tua, you know, battling injuries, doesn't have all of his receiving core. And then Mac Jones, we really know that the problem for Mac Jones, as well as he's played, is we do know that with Bill Belichick, he'll do whatever they need to do to win. And and you and I never know for sure what that's going to be on any given week. You know, so it really comes down to utilization and what like game plan they want to deploy based on their opponent. And that can be a problematic thing for Mac Jones, despite how well he's played. So, yes, I agree with the order and would put it just like we just laid it out. Six, again, six highest graded passer on the season. That's given him all of one top 10 fantasy finish. So, you know, it's just fantasy football. It doesn't always reflect real life as much as maybe you wish it did. Moving right along, we got some running back news. Dwayne Aaron Jones has a mild MCL sprain. He's expected to be out one to two weeks per ESPN's Adam Schefter. Great, great, great one to two weeks to be out for A.J. Dillon. Fantasy managers, because we get a Vikings defense this week, one of only three units in the entire league actually averaging positive EPA uh, per run play against. So really, you know, the Vikings, the Chargers, you only have a few teams in the league that it's actually like makes sense to run the ball against, and A.J. Dillon gets one of them. So, Dwayne, the big concern with Dillon that we've kind of answered throughout the year was like, if we lose Jones, would he actually have the pass down role or would Kylan Hill come in and take those reps? I'm not saying that Kylan won't be somewhat involved, but to me, this looks like an Arizona situation where Dylan should be like James Conner an 80% plus back. Will he lose a few snaps to Kylan? Sure. Absolutely. No running back plays hundred percent of the snaps, but this is a true workhorse situation. It's going to be really hard to rank more than, you know, five or eight well, running yeah, backs. I have, I have some really good news for you. It's not good news, but I mean, it's it's good news for AJ Dillon. Like Colin Hill is out for the season, so oh he got hurt gosh. a couple weeks ago. Knee, I'm struggle, struggling. Oh, it's okay. Hey, that's what the Vix does. That's what that's what <laughs> Dwayne's here for. Dwayne's here to offset the Vix. So Colin Hill, yeah, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that he actually was injured. Week eight was his last game. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that answers for the answer to <laughs> your question. Then. Okay. <laughs> I think AJ Dillon is pretty much going to be the dude. Um, there's nobody else really on the team that is just going to scream that they really need those reps. We'll, we'll see. You know, they may work someone else in, but I think overall it's pretty much going to be AJ Dillon, and you're going to be able to feel really good about plugging him in. He's an RB one. 
Well, damn. Good call, Mr. McFarland. Dwayne won, Ian zero. We'll see if we can make it up on the scoreboard the rest of the podcast. <laughs> uh, other main I'm injury. here to support you. <laughs> However we can get you on the board. I know, brother. We good. All right. So with the Falcons now, sad day, everyone. My guy, Cordero Patterson, sprained ankle, still being evaluated, but per uh, Tom Pelissero, doesn't sound optimistic for Thursday night. Could, in fact, be out a couple weeks. So, Dwayne, when we were looking at these Falcons splits last night, you know, didn't have a chance to really dig into how much was Gallman involved before uh, you know the Falcons just really turned the offense over to Josh Rosen and the backups and the answer was actually quite a bit involved even in the first 45 minutes of this game in the first three quarters Mike Davis played 20 snaps Gallman played 11 but Mike had four carries and Gallman had eight even before the game was getting out of the picture so really Dwayne the way I look at this they're kind of giving Gallman it seems like most of Patterson's work as a rusher we're not getting the receiving cheat code though so if anything, I think both these guys are probably going to be middling RB3s. I don't know that either is really someone you should be going too actively out on the waiver wire to get. With that said, I know people are in deep leagues. And if you need someone looking at 10 plus combined carries and targets, I think either guy can probably give you that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it was interesting. So I just broke it down by drive. And so looking at the first five drives while Patterson was uh, was actually playing, Gallman, he only had one snap, right? So it was really just Davis and Patterson. But in the next four drives, before basically the Cardinals just pulled all their starters because they were getting blown out by so much. So drive six through nine, you actually had Gallman out there for eight snaps. You had Davis out there for um, only six snaps. But to your point, during that stretch, um, 80% of the rushing attempts went to Gallman. Only 20% went to Davis. Now, Gallman did remain in the game um, when the backups came in. So that's drive 10, 11, and 12. And you had Davis off the field. So I'm inclined to think Davis probably is still the lead back, Ian, you know, in this situation. You know, last night, you know, we talked about this a little bit, you know, on the breakdown, but I didn't have quite this detailed information. But I do think that Gallman's going to probably be heavily involved, could be more like a 50-50 thing. Um, you know, Fab, I wouldn't get too crazy with it, you know, just because we don't know, like, really what's going to happen. But, like, 2 to 5% on Gallman. I don't even know. How often is Davis even available? I haven't looked that up, Ian. If it's something you – if you don't know, no big deal. I, I'm sure he's been dropped in a lot of formats. Um, but I wouldn't go crazy. Now, the one thing I did notice, though, is from a um, route standpoint, it really was Davis. He was out there for 60% of the routes, or nearly 60%. It was just under 60%. And Wayne Gallman was really not used you know, in the passing game at all. So I think Davis probably gets 40 to 50% of the attempts, going to be more involved in the passing game. Gallman really will be you know, taking 40 50% of the rushing attempts, but not that involved in the passing game. Probably picks up the short down distance work. Might be the guy more likely to punch in a touchdown run. Um, so it's a situation where we also don't know how long Cordell Patterson is going to be out. We just know he's, based on what I heard today, sounds doubtful for this week. You know, probably more closer to out. There's like some sliver of hope like that they're holding out or they're just playing coaching games. So that's how I would play the situation. Probably the biggest takeaway is avoid everyone in this offense if you can help it <laughs> other than Kyle Pitts of course who should be getting peppered all the targets his heart's, uh, heart desires here over the next few weeks with the New England Patriots we saw Ramondre Stevenson really just probably win a bunch of people their week last week if you're we lucky enough to get him in that starting lineup the question is how much longer will he be that lead back Damian Harris was out last week with a concussion we don't know like how long he's going to be out it always was given us we were given more optimism with Stevenson 
isn't coming back and he ultimately did like we'll see Dwayne I wouldn't be surprised if Harris misses another week or two I wouldn't be surprised if he's practicing in a limited fashion on uh you know Monday and we see what's happening so it is a short week with that said if Stevenson is the feature backing him, Damian Harris remains out what are our expectations here because I do think that he has like a slightly higher ceiling than Damian Harris in this offense because we've seen them a little bit more willing to throw Stevenson the ball here this season yeah, what's interesting is I did really look into this one, um, and he actually just pretty much filled, you know, Damian Harris's role. Now, he did get a few more, you know, he was a little more involved in the passing game, but it was on early downs. It wasn't like he was taking it, you know, on long down a distance or two-minute offense. All the same things that really we didn't see from Damian Harris, we also didn't see from Ramondre Stevenson. But they did get him a little bit more involved on the early down. So I agree with you. There's a little more upside, I think, just because of that passing work. But it's not because it's really a larger role. It's really just doing a little more with the role he has and the snaps that he is on the field. But I think it's just like Damian Harris. You know, Harris had really gotten to that point, Ian, where like every week, like before he got hurt, I was I was ranking him somewhere between like, you know, 18 and 15. Like yep. he was pretty much always right there because we know that the Patriots are committed to running the ball inside the five. We know that Damian Harris is really good at that. Ramondre Stevenson also showed to be pretty good at that, at least this last week. Doesn't look quite as, you know, violent. He's not as violent of a, of a runner as Damian Harris. Like he doesn't have that pop. Like, you know, when you see the first linebacker meet him, it's not the same, but like he's still a big enough back. He's operating well within the context of the offense. So yeah, I think I would rank him right around the same, maybe give him to your point one or two spots higher on a little bit more receiving upside but I still think it's a high probably high end RB2 you know I know I know you're really all about low end RB2s but I think in this case we would have a high end RB2 where really Damian Harris is probably a mid-range RB2 every week so slight upgrade but not huge I think that's fair, and I did actually just see the Patriots practice participation stuff come in. So they don't actually practice on Monday of a Thursday night game. So what they do is they release an estimated practice report where if they would have practiced, this is what it would have been. And Damon Harris is still in the concussion protocol, not practicing, would not expect him to be suiting up Thursday night. What's interesting, Dwayne, is that Brandon Bolden actually popped up as limited with a hip injury. I went back and looked in week 10 because every week the Patriots feel the need to list about 20 guys on their injury report and this does seem to be a new issue with Bolden not listed there uh, ahead of week 10 so Johnny Smith is out with the shoulder we could there's a small chance we actually do get a two back situation Dwayne if somehow Bolden is out now we're talking about a legit RB1 potentially in Stevenson yeah if that happens then it's like all bets are off I'm sure JJ Taylor would definitely you know see more work probably more in the rushing department would pick up some things from Stevenson. They they would definitely have another back involved. But yeah, if you've got Bolden out, then it's like you got the James White role, formerly known as right available, and you would have the Harris role. And JJ Taylor can't really fill both of those spots if they're vacated. So yeah, I think if that is the case, Ramondre Stevenson would be an RB one like across the board every single format. It's. I assume like going into the year that JJ would almost be like the James White backup, and he would get most of the receiving mm-hmm. work. You know, because he's short. Like that's what it comes down to. That's <laughs> what I was thinking there. That was pretty much yeah. the. Uh, well, it's easy to kind of think Deion Lewis, right, in those yeah. days that he had with the Patriots, or Kevin Falk, even like going back, you know, further past that. But yeah, I was I was the same way. So I think you know, uh, it's kind of like you know the uh, random white guy that has a high motor, Ian. You know? Yeah. <laughs> 
real Patriots slot receiver uh, type of guy. But yeah, with uh, Stevenson having more pass game work than Taylor so far, like he is truly out of all four of these Patriots running backs, like he has the highest ceiling if we can start to pick away some of them as we are able to do now. So go get Stevenson, start him with confidence if Harrison, especially if Bolden are both sideline. Two more running back rooms to briefly talk about here, Dwayne. We got Deontay Foreman kind of emerging as the league guy in Tennessee. With that said, the league guy, you know, only played 35% snaps last week. We're still seeing Peterson plenty involved. Jerry McNichols is going nowhere. We have the matchup this week against the Texans. Maybe it's a situation like the Bills when they play the Jets where everyone scores touchdowns and it just doesn't really matter. But looking ahead the rest of the year, I'm cool with getting Foreman on rosters, but in terms of expecting this like imminent takeover and him just getting 20 plus touches, I guess that's what I caution people in expecting. Dwayne, are you on a similar wavelength? Yeah, for sure. I think it's really just more of a speculative ad at this point, right? You're, you're betting on the younger talent. You know, he's coming off the Achilles two or three years ago, whatever it is. But you know, Peterson's 36, about to be 37 years old. So you're just really putting down, you know, a chip saying, look, if, if things continue on the path they're on, Foreman is probably the back that you want to have on your roster over Peterson. Um, just probably more upside there. But for now, you can't start any of these guys, really. You can't use them. Like, you'd have to, like, send me a snapshot of you being in, like, a 32-team league before I would be like, <laughs> yes, get Deontay Foreman out there on the field. So right now, I think he is the best speculative ad. Honestly, you know, Ian, I went back and watched some of that game this morning because I was looking at some other stuff on A.J. Brown, and so I actually clicked on all of Foreman's runs, just kind of looking at that. Like, he also didn't look that great. Like, he... It was the you know, screen he, still, he busted. That was like the only big yeah, play yeah, that people exactly. said. Yeah, exactly. He, he still looks a bit sluggish, like to me, like and not like for as big of a back as he is. He doesn't break a lot of tackles. He's not real authoritative, you know. So I think people naturally, just like what we talked about with JJ Taylor, you get drawn into. Oh, well, he would be the Deion Lewis. He would be <laughs> the. I think people look at Foreman. They think you know the bigger, the younger back. You know, we also get pulled into well. He's the most obvious one to look like Derrick Henry, right? More than, you know, Peterson. But watching it, like, I wasn't super impressed. But the data is the data. His snaps are on the rise. His carries are on the rise. Peterson's were down. Um, who knows? It could just be a rotation all season. But if I did have to put a chip down on one, at this point, it would be Foreman. Great story coming off the Achilles. Like, I'm happy to do it as a job. And it's fun seeing, you know, AP back in the NFL. But I'm also, at the same time, it's like a super bad moment. Like, why the F is it between McLovin and Muhammad? Why is it between Foreman and Peterson, Tennessee? And I know they, you know, drafted Darrington Evans to be that guy, and he's on IR as well. Uh, just unfortunate the way the Tennessee running back room has uh, shaped up over the last few weeks. Final note, Dwayne, Ty Johnson just keeps on keeping on. You know, we might not want to start him, but he's he, he keeps on Ty Johnsoning. You know, that's it's like going to be a make it a verb. <laughs> Here's my thing, though. So we have Ty Tevin Coleman was back last week and because of that he only had two carries in that one he only has one game all year with more than five carries i'm just worried Dwayne. if we take mike white out of the picture which i'm guessing after last week zach wilson is going to have a little bit more urgency the jets are going to have more urgency getting zach wilson back under center i should say if we lose mike white we lose the league's single most check down heavy quarterback at 10.9 percent of his dropbacks this year i'm starting to wonder if losing mike white means we also lose ty johnson like even if 
Mike White's still there, Dwayne. Like, I just don't know how you could like look yourself in the mirror and hit start on Ty Johnson. Like, isn't that what this comes down to? <laughs> I think so. Uh, you know, and Coleman really coming back wasn't good for anyone. You know, Carter got a touchdown late to really save things. But the problem that this created is now that it's like, okay, well, we don't have the carries to give you, Ty. We're going to give some of those to Coleman. Well, guess what? We saw 71% of the long down and distance move back to Ty Johnson and 100% of the two-minute offense move back to Ty Johnson, whereas Michael Carter had taken over really over half of each one of those roles in the previous week. So it was like, we'll get Ty Johnson kind of involved in the passing game, give him a few carries here and there. He had a high targets per route run. Well, now, like because we got to have Tevin Coleman back in the freaking mix, it's like kind of screwing up everything for everybody. Um, that actually will be part of my utilization report this week is, you know, we're looking at it probably, you know, and maybe Tevin Coleman won't be active this week. We'll see what happens. And look, we, we love you, Tevin Coleman. But like in this situation, it's like we're just looking for, you know, a two back, a two backfield situation, you know, due to this offense. But right now, I think the entire Jets backfield is a downgrade. All right, Twain. So out of that group, I think the pretty clear number one waiver wire darling is A.J. Dillon, even oh, if yeah. Jones comes back in a couple weeks, as we've seen. Like, he's still at least a flex you can have if uh, Jones could be in the picture. Dylan by far, tier drop-off, Ramondre Stevenson, tier drop-off. Then I have Foreman, Gallman, Davis, Ty Johnson, pretty much knock yourself out. I do think Foreman deserves the nod over that other group, but is that the way you see this, Dwayne? I mean, I would put Davis a little higher. I mean, we don't know for sure with Patterson is the thing, but just seeing the routes Davis got, and he's probably going to get around half the carries. Like, for me, I would take it. I would put him above Foreman, Gallman. And Ty Johnson. But I think other than that, yeah, I would still go Dylan for sure, number one. Then Stevenson. Then Davis. Then probably that last tier is really more of those other guys together. I think Davis is really one tier above those. Are you fine blowing the rest of your fab on Dylan at this point? Like, who, who else are we waiting yeah, on? Yeah, it's like, really? what are we waiting yeah. on? Like, you're probably going to get two to three weeks out of him. You got a mild MCL sprain, you know, for um, Aaron Jones. It's not going to be the rest of the season for Jones. But look, these things can take longer too we've seen like he avoided the ir day so i mean i think that's a positive for aaron jones but like right now it's like you're just trying to you want to get into your fantasy playoffs and dylan he is for sure an asset that can help you do that 100 percent. all right let's talk some wide receivers here nothing groundbreaking with the groups i will say probably the biggest news to keep an eye on is that cole beasley only played nine snaps in week 10 due to a ribs injury he's like unless we hear something in this week of practice from the coaching staff that Beasley will be back to his normal role like you cannot start him if this is the case right now and having a number four receiver like Gabriel Davis could feasibly make this more of a committee down the stretch since you know Gabe as we've called him Dwayne really him and Tyler Johnson throughout the year have been the top two handcuff wide receivers and even Tyler Johnson I think when you kind of that was all based on Scotty Miller not being there and Brashad Perryman right. not being a member of the team. So I think he's not even in that conversation now. Gabriel Davis is the top handcuff in fantasy football, and we saw him clear 100 yards on only three targets in Week 10. Gabriel Davis, Dwayne, like out of this group, and I also got Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Marcus Johnson, Jamal Agnew. I'm not saying Davis is necessarily the target for the rest of the season. I would give Rashad Bateman that role. But if we get a situation where Cole Beasley or Sanders or Diggs is sidelined, it's going to be tough to keep Gabriel Davis out of that top 36. Yeah. Well, and you're just in an offense that throws all the time. You know, I mean, that's the thing with the Bills offense is you've got a chance every week, right? If you're a skilled position player on the outside, because we know that it doesn't matter. Lead, trail, tied, 
like, you know, the moon falls into the ocean, doesn't matter. Like the Bills are still going to throw the ball a lot. And so if you got a guy like Gabriel Davis, you know, it isn't an exact one for one, obviously. And I know you already know that, Ian. I mean, with really what Beasley does and where he works, I would honestly think Dawson Knox might be the biggest beneficiary of, you know, time without Cole Beasley because of the types of routes that he's really running. Um, and Diggs would probably be the next up to get it. But it does open up opportunities to be on the field in a heavy passing offense against a quarterback that's very willing to uncork it when he needs to in Josh Allen, you know, and hit that deep pass. So I do think Gabriel Davis is actually, you know, a very val- valuable commodity, especially in deeper type formats if we do see Cole Beasley out for any period of time. Want to cross off Marcus Johnson here? I don't think we need to be chasing that. <laughs> yeah, only out there for sixty percent of the routes. Look, he he looked nice, and man, like players just look big in the Tennessee uniform. <laughs> I have to say, like you, you, like if you if you want to go somewhere and just look like a beast and like you know make every you know as long as you're fast because they can make you look slow, but they make you look so big. Like when I see Marcus Johnson and AJ Brown, especially when they wear the uniforms they wore this last week, I'm always like. Man, like these guys are like offensive linemen out there, like running four fours. <laughs> you know, they look huge. I actually did see something funny though about AJ Brown. I'm trying to find the tweet. Uh, obviously, my guy. You know, I'll throw him in the Twitter search and just see what the big news on. Oh, I can't find who said it. But basically, they have these different uniforms, and the spacing in AJ Brown's eleven seems to be different every single every... time. So there's a lot going on with these uniforms, Dwayne. We are. need to. Uh, yeah. Devote some of the offseason to really get to the bottom of uh, these uh, obviously super actionable and important topics. <laughs> this is going to be a series in the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the only thing I was going to say with Marcus Johnson is, like, this wasn't his first start of the season or anything. He had two other starts, and he only had 52 scoreless yards and then eight scoreless yards. So it's just pretty much like, you know, American football roulette with these Tennessee complimentary, complimentary receivers. While we do think Marcus Johnson is the best, and if you, you know, gun to your head, you need to pick one of these guys not to get as dark as we did last week on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I would pick him over Chester Rogers and Nick Westbrook and everything, but obviously not someone that, you know, you can feel confident actually starting here week in and week out. Maybe we can get a little feeling better about Jamal Agnew, Dwayne. At the same time, I, again, this is like, to me, like Ty Johnson territory. Like I don't want to click start on Agnew, but Hey, we are starting to get the rush attempts for over the last two weeks. He has 10 targets. Did he catch any of them last week? No, but if there is going to be someone in the offense, did any Jaguars produce, catch any targets last week? I don't. Know. It's bad. Oh, Dwayne, actually, I, I mentioned this on the pod, and I went ahead and looked it up because I was thinking Trevor Lawrence was up there for the league high in uh, big time throws that were actually incomplete. I saw your tweet. Sure yeah. enough, number one Ryan Tannehill, number two Lamar Jackson, and tied with Tom Brady for number three is Trevor Lawrence. So it really hasn't been as bad as the box score. But Dwayne, this is fantasy football. We are being slaves to the box score. Do you want anything to do with Agnew? I, look, man, I mean, Agnew, like looking at this list, if you are in a deeper format, like I think you have to acknowledge that four out of the last uh, five games, I think, Ian, I don't know if you have it in front of you, I think it's in the top 40, top 36 in PPR. So, I mean, he's really only had one stinker in that time. And look, it, the bottom line for Agnew is he's operating underneath. They're the easiest targets for Trevor Lawrence. He's also getting to play in the slot. So he also gets the best releases. He gets the easiest coverage, all those things. And all those things that went away from LaVisca Chenault, separate topic, won't go there. So I just, 
but knowing all those things, like Agnew really is the player, like for multiple weeks now, that's really the best option. Really, it's the two inside options. It's Arnold and Agnew. Like those are the two players that you can kind of plug in on your team. Not that you feel great about it, but if you had to, you could do it. Like I do not want to play Chenault right now. I don't want to play Marvin Jones right now. I don't really, I mean, obviously we would play James Robinson, right? When he's healthy, but I think Agnew, yeah. I mean, I think he is just kind of consider him, you know, he's a, he's high end wide receiver for, you know, kind of low-end wide receiver three and PPR formats. Like, he's he's just kind of sitting there. You're not super excited about it, but you'll take it. A kind Girl Scout approaches your door. She sells you some Thin Mints. <laughs> Smile, very happy-go-lucky. And the, before she leaves, she just asks you, Dwayne, would you rather have Jamal Agnew or Marvin Jones for the rest of the season? Who would you answer with? Uh, Agnew at this point. <laughs> I think so, man. We're here. I hate to say that because I'm a, I love Marvin Jones. Like I, I honestly, one of the most underrated players in like the last eight to ten years of football. Yeah. Like can do a lot of things on the field. You know, he's battled some injuries because of his play style. But man, I hate to say that. But right now, yeah, just with the way this whole offense is working. Um, yeah, that would be my advice to uh, that Girl Scout. <laughs> yeah, truly. Marvin Jones, man, five years ago, I don't think you could name five better pure contested catch wide receivers. Some of those balls you would come down with from Stafford were absolutely crazy. Okay, New York Jets. We talk about these guys almost every week on this podcast. Elijah Moore, Corey Davis. Dwayne, it's so crowded there. We got Elijah scoring touchdowns anyway. Corey Davis had a nice game with 90 yards. We are probably going to have Zach Wilson, I would think, back under center this week. If not, it does seem like that could be around the corner. How badly do we want Moore and Corey Davis? Like Again, are these guys that we can actually be starting down the road, or are we just still going to see them have this boomer bust, low-end wide receiver type arc? Because we got to get guys like Jeff Smith, Braxton Berrios, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims. Got to keep them involved as well. Yeah, so the positive on Davis is back out there 85, for 85% of the routes, right? So I think with Corey Davis, you can think of him as that boom-bust wide receiver three um, you know, you're concerned overall about the Jets offense, but we have seen we've seen him and um, Zach Wilson click, you know, in the past. And Wilson is willing to push the ball down the field. So I think you got a good com- not I don't want to say good, but I think you have a combination that's workable. Right. For a wide receiver three. You got a player that wants to play to the wants to attack downfield, which is typically where Davis is at. Davis is the lead receiver as far as routes on the team. You know, before the injury, we had seen him dip down like below the 80s, like in the 70s and 60s. Now, they could do that again next week. Like, this is a tough situation to predict. But 85% was encouraging, right? Finished 19, 19 through, you know, without Monday Night Football, obviously, yet, you know, you know, put into the mix for PPR finish this week at receiver. So, I do like Davis. I think he's fine. Elijah Moore, um, you know, 25 uh, PPR finished this week before Monday night, first the week before, 26 the week before. And guess what? Every week he doesn't get enough routes. <laughs> 37%, 63%, 55%. Elijah Moore says, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm just here to score fantasy points. I don't know what to tell people. Uh, I, I know what to tell the Jets. Get Elijah Moore on the field more. He's actually beating man coverage, like press man, single man, like for the season, like looking at the full sample, not just last week. Like, he's actually doing better. Corey Davis and he are tied for beating single coverage. But Elijah Moore is actually their best receiver at getting off press coverage, right? And he actually makes more big plays. So it's just, I don't know what the holdup is with why they can't get Elijah Moore on the field more. To me, he should be out there. Anytime they're in two wide receiver sets, he should be on the field. Fine, you want to go to 11? You want to put Crowder in another slot? Great, do it. But why do you need to rotate Elijah Moore with Keelan Cole? I can't answer these questions, but it is happening. 
And so that's the thing you got to look at. But for me, and we talked about more last week, like you said, we talk about them every week. These are the top two guys in the list we're talking about for me. I, I put more ahead of Bateman at this point just Ooh. because, like, the explosiveness, Ian. Like, I like Bateman too, but let's face it, the Jets have to throw the ball more. Um, and Elijah Moore is really coming up with more big plays to this point. You know, Bateman is – I think Moore is the one that has the chance. Now, you could argue with me the offense is crappier than Baltimore's, and I would have no rebuttal. Like, I would have none. <laughs> like, if the Girl Scout told me that, I would just shut my door in, the, in her face. <laughs> I'd be like, whatever, get out of here with these cookies. But, uh, you know, so, look, they're probably – I should probably say they're really – those are the top – I like them probably close to equal. But I've just seen Moore now come up with the big plays, and I feel like he is the guy on his team. It's like – could we see just down the stretch where it's just like, you know, just give the ball to Elijah Moore. Like, just just let this guy do his thing. Like, I could more likely see that being more than being Bateman. At a minimum, Moore has the higher target ceiling because we know that Andrews and Hollywood are going absolutely nowhere. Whereas yes. if Moore just works as the number one over the last month, like, we wouldn't be shocked by any stretch. He probably should, to your point. He's been the best wide receiver out there. I think it is a good call to go with Elijah over our next topic, who is Rashad Bateman. Dwayne, he looks great. Like I last week, last two weeks, I have seen why a lot of you know really smart minds of our industry, like Matt Harmon, like some of these other wide receiver experts, you know, have been so high on Bateman throughout the entire process. He has at least six targets in every game he's been out there. We did see the snaps go down a bit with Sammy Watkins back. Now Watkins was atrocious in his first game back from hamstring injury. You would like to to think that they're going to continue to face him out of the offense in favor of Bateman. At the same time, though, as much as this Ravens offense does pass more than they did in past years, this is still not a unit throwing the ball quite around quite as much as a team like the Jets. We got Hollywood. We got Andrews. I mean, Bateman, Dwayne, I keep seeing him in these starts. And he had a good game last week, but I keep seeing him like in these start-sick questions with like legit top 20, top 24 receivers. And I'm not saying you can't have boom weeks like that, but normally I think we should get used to Bateman as more of a mid-tier wide receiver three, which, hey, that's where Moore and Davis really are right now themselves, but I think they have probably a better chance of leaping ahead to the next year. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Bateman does play in the better offense, but, man, like Watkins is a pain. Like having the routes go from 82 to 64% and knowing that as much as the Ravens are throwing the ball more than they have in the past, they are also much more likely to be in game scripts where they could run if they wanted to. Like it's optional. Like the Jets are never in that game script. Um, now, to be fair, like what matters most, right, about a passing offense is less about volume. It's just more about efficiency, right? You know, the yards per attempt is really the most important thing versus when we talk about the running game, like it's all about the volume. You know, so it's a little bit different, but at the same time, if you're talking about a PPR format, you're talking about a half PPR, that stuff does matter because that bleeds down, right, to, you know, all of the weapons in the offense. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I look at Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, slightly ahead of Bateman, but it's close. Like, I, Bateman is a really good player. The Sammy Watkins thing is a, a real bummer. If, we, if Watkins did, like, go back to just not being, not rotating in, when you say thing about Elijah Moore, if Keelan Cole didn't rotate in, like these guys, we would feel much better about both of them. Look, I like them both. You're betting on talent. You're betting on young talent that's shown over the last few weeks to actually be viable. And so that doesn't happen that often in a fantasy season. A lot of times we're talking about these other players like Jamal Agnew, right? And not to say Jamal Agnew's not young and can't be worth something, but these are guys with major draft capital that we really liked coming into the season, and now you're seeing them get their chance. So out of these wide receivers, 
Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, those are our top two targets. Then we got Bateman, followed by Gabriel Davis, then Jamal Agnew and Marcus Johnson in dead last. Not to be a dick, but that's just, you know, he's he's last on the list. That's all I'm trying to say. Dwayne, <laughs> any adjustments to that? No, no, I think you're good. Like Davis, you, you know, you need Beasley to be out to be able to start him. But I agree on the upside and everything that's available with Davis. Quickly now on tight end, we got Dan Arnold, 10 targets, 7 targets, 7 targets over the last three weeks. Really the only sure thing in Jacksonville other than our guy, James Arby. One son got Tyler Conklin, Gronklin catching two scores last week, every down roll in that Vikings offense. We got Adam Troutman, 9 catches over the past two weeks. I do worry if we could see him actually like kind of get, not fully benched, but see that playing time go down after he had that back-breaking false start on the two-point conversion. We also saw Jawan Johnson get activated again last week after being a healthy scratch the week before. So Colin Troutman's, you know, midseason quote-unquote breakout. A little bit of Fugazi here. Logan Thomas, I, I've been seeing him popping up on waiver wire articles everywhere. Like, Ron Rivera said last week that he's just not ready to be put on the field. That did not sound promising at all. On the Monday, they said he was too sore after working out to be out there. So Yes, RSJ is now day-to-day with a hip injury himself, but if anything, like it doesn't sound like Ricky Seals-Jones is facing this like season-ending IR uh, situation with the hip injury, and if Logan Thomas isn't near 100% health, it could either continue to just be RSJ, or maybe we see more of a split once Logan Thomas comes back. So I do not think you need to go out of your way for Logan Thomas by any stretch. I would much rather have Gerald Everett, who we have seen getting right back to that every-down roll. He's not going to lead the team in receiving over Metcalf and Lockett every single week, but we have seen him supply tight end 17, tight end 13, and tight end 5 between some duds when he has had that every down roll. So out of this group, Dwayne, I'd say go get Arnold the most. After that, I'd have a slight tear drop off to Gerald Everett, Tyler Conklin, and then distant fourth and fifth, Logan Thomas and Adam Troutman. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I think with Thomas is once he, we don't know when he's going to be back, to your point. Like, once he is back, though, you would grade him at the top of this list most likely. I don't likely. know, though. Is RSJ just going to be kicked the curb? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good question. I mean, they paid Logan Thomas. Uh, RS, RSJ's been good. Um, but, you know, he was hurt, dinged up in the last game as well. Yeah. You know, you had Bates or whatever his name is, actually led the <laughs> team in routes yesterday. Um, so... Yeah, let me. I'm, I'm just thinking through. Yeah, Arnold is definitely number one right now. Um, I would probably put Logan Thomas still second. But if you need someone this week, right, you can't use Logan Thomas. So it's like, it's like one of these kind of bifurcated questions. If you're just talking pure rest of the season versus if you're just talking like this next week. If you're That's just fair. talking the next week and rest of the season, Dan Arnold number one, right? And then I would say Logan Thomas, Gerald Everett, Conklin. Troutman, but if you're just saying next week, like you got to move Logan Thomas down that list. Logan Thomas's um, best case role is better than all these guys, except for maybe Dan Arnold. That's kind of where my head's at. Yeah, I got you. That's fair. Okay, so I'm gonna keep. But that I, I, I do love what Gerald Everett did this last week, and we we covered it really, you know, in full last night. Though the pod that went up this morning really around the recap around week ten. It's good to see forever. Like he's kind of been working his way towards this and just had some unfortunate, you know, events. He's like lemony snickets or something like that, you know, (laughs) where he just hasn't been able to like, it's like the timing just hit, you know, it's been off. Right. And so it's like, it's like the bubble would get popped right at the wrong moment. Well now, like that's kind of gone. He really does look like he'll probably be the third option in the passing game and the Seahawks need it, man. They need a third option to help solve, you know, for, you know, the defensive looks that they're seeing. 
Man, Lemony Snicket. I used to love that series, bro. I don't know where that came from. Did, did you ever read the... Series um, of unfortunate events. That's yeah, what did, happened. Did you ever read the, like, Lemony Snicket biography where it had the reverse... So he had, like, his biography, and then he's such a quirky guy, so so creative. And uh, you could turn the, like, book jacket inside out, and it, had, it was, like, the princess pony thing because he was like the ingredients in this book are like so highly secretive that when you read this you got to use this like fake book cover to throw people off the scent and know that they won't be reading that is pretty funny just he's got he's got all these young dudes walking around with that cover turned inside out (laughs) he's just laughing it's a big prank some yeah. of those uh, authors, man, Lemony Snicket. I know I used to read every single thing Matt Christopher uh, put out there. Claire B, like such a big influence on all of us. But gotta gotta love that. Good for you, Lemony. If you ever a fancy, ever ever need some fancy football advice, let uh, let Dwayne and I know. All right, Dwayne. Everyone can find Utilization Report on PFF.com. You get that up every single Tuesday. Out of my Week 11 quarterback predictions live as well. Anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend? No, man, that is it. Um, excited about this week, like heading into week 11. Like most of us have two weeks left. Like we got to get this done. So trying to crunch it all, get everybody in a good spot, you know, hopefully have some more nuggets for you guys tomorrow in the utilization report beyond what we hit today. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.